all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fossone. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at LegalHelpForVeterans.com. We also want to thank our latest national sponsor, Veteran Lending Council. It is a community dedicated to educating lenders, realtors, and veterans on the VA Home Loan Benefit Program. You can check them out on Facebook and other social media outlets. We have two interesting stories for you today. One is to... An interview that we did with uh, Rob O'Neill, you may recall that name. He's the SEAL uh, who shot and killed Osama bin Laden. He and Dakota Myers, and you may recall that name, Dakota uh, was awarded the Medal of Honor. So Rob and Dakota wrote a book called The Way Forward, giving a lot of really practical advice um, life lessons, if you will, and certainly there's uh, uh, discussions about their most noted events, um, but it's really more a book about learning about uh, the mistakes that they made in life, the things that they did right, maybe the things that uh, they can pass along that uh, you might find uh, noteworthy and, and avoid some problems in the future. So uh, we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to reach back to a Civil War naval battle that uh, you probably never heard about, but was the biggest battle of the in the uh, Civil War, um, the Alabama and the Curisarge. So uh, that'll be also interesting for you to uh, learn a little bit about, and uh, we want you to stay tuned uh, for that as well. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today, Senior Chief Petty Officer. Rob O'Neill. Rob, welcome to Veterans Radio. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's always uh, great to talk to a Navy SEAL. You, you've had a fantastic career, uh, about 16 years in the service. Um, you were on SEAL Team 2, 4, and 6, and experienced some of the uh, most you know, kind of noteworthy uh, uh, events for SEAL teams during that period, uh, including the Rescue of Marcus Luttrell effort, uh, the Moresque Alabama hijacking with uh, 
which was uh, has been captured in film, um, and uh, uh, you are accredited with um, killing uh, Osama bin Laden. But we have you on to talk about a book that you and your friend Dakota Meyer have uh, just issued, The Way Forward, Master Life's Toughest Battles and Create Your Lasting Legacy. Um, w- w- tell us about the inspiration to write this, if you will, Rob. Well, it was um, about a, a guy from Montana who couldn't swim, who became a Navy SEAL, ended up in Osama bin Laden's bedroom. Uh, and, uh, a male cheerleader who ended up being one of the Medal of Honor, uh, as a Marine in, uh, Gangegal Valley. Um, and, and just what you, what do we do now? Because it's, it's more of, um, life happens around you as you're making a plan. And when you make a plan, God laughs at you because you're going to do something else. And, uh, what we kind of figured out is it doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from. You can do anything you want as long as you, uh, keep moving forward. All we have, all we have in common is time. Time keeps ticking, and it's going to keep going, and uh, that's what we call it the way forward is what, what next. I mean, we, we met each other just because we we're both speakers uh, trying to figure out what we're going to do next, and that, that's basically it. And uh, Dakota's a wonderful, wonderful guy, a great story, great family man, and uh, we kind of hit it off, and it's, it's like uh, you, know, you can join the military at 18 years old and retire after 20 years at 38 years old. you got a lot of life left. <clears throat> and um, it's everything from what do we do now to uh, uh, what are we worried about now? Why are we worried? And one of my one of my new favorite sayings is today is the tomorrow that you were worried about yesterday. Stop worrying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fine. You're going to be just fine. That's it. I mean, it's that simple. Keep a simple match to the basics. That's it. Well, I, let me set this up for our veteran radio listeners. And we're talking to Rob O'Neill, former SEAL who wrote with Dakota Meyer, and that name's ringing a bell for people going, yeah, did he get the Medal of Honor? Um, Rob writes a chapter, and then Dakota writes a chapter, and, and yes. they, go, they ping-pong this back and forth through life, starting with their family, starting with getting into the military, kind of the uh, the mentors that they had, the problems that they had. I, I'm sure Dakota loves that you start with referring to him as a former cheerleader. Um, <laughs> if I get to talk to him, we'll get some juice on you too. So, well, um, you, know, you know what's awesome about that though is uh, even in the book, if you'll read it, he because the reason he started cheerleading was because he was kind of making fun of the cheerleaders. They said, "Why don't you come to practice with me?" And he did. And cheerleaders, they bust. They literally are. They're busting their tails out there, doing all the stuff. And and uh, he started to get made fun of. And he said, "Yeah, you you might be making fun of me, but my hands on your girlfriend's butt." <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So this this book ping pongs back through, as they say, the, you know, pre military, the military career, and sort of these life lessons afterwards. And I, it's a really good read, Rob. You guys did a great job on this. Thank you. And and I want to pull out some of those life lessons that you talk about. As I said, it'd be easy to talk the a whole uh, interview here about uh, your your adventures as a Navy SEAL, but you've learned some things along the way, and, and one of those is about what it takes to master certain skills. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think people think you just as, you just arrive fully developed with these skill sets. No, it's it's uh, it's it's simply mastering the basics. Do 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 uh, do everything like you do anything, and um, it, and keep it simple. It, your next goal in life is your next step in life. 
And I've had people say, uh, well, I want to be a Marine or I want to be a Navy SEAL, but I'm not good at pull-ups. How do I get better at pull-ups? I'm like, well, it's simple. You do pull-ups. It's that simple. Do more pull-ups. And I've been, I mean, it's just, just keep everything as simple as you can. Um, I was actually just, uh, I was in Texas and I had uh, a buddy of mine, I I was at one of his events and his son said, uh, who was 14, he said, what would, if you could give 14 year old Rob O'Neill some advice on life, what would it be? And I told him, you know what it would be? Ask her out. Whoever she is, (laughs) ask her out. And and that that just kind of comes back to just take the shots, take it. Uh, because someone, someone else is afraid to, why don't you be that dude? Take the shot. Ask her out. That, uh, and that's how simple it is. What's right in front of you? Um, that's why one of my shirts that I, that I made is, is, is as veterans will know, the front of a Claymore mine says front toward enemy. And that's it. Put, <laughs> that's what you, re- in front of you. That's what you really have enemy. to know. Yeah, that's what you really have that's to it. know. And, and keep, it, keep it simple. So whoever, whoever invented the Claymore put front toward enemy, and on the back they put the word back. That's, that's, that's life. Well, it goes that way. The front goes this way. Keep it simple. One, Keep of the, real. one of the things that you talk about in the book on mastering skills is that it's hard work and it's grinding repetition. And I think too many people today in this uh, maybe a society of instant gratification thinks, well, it should, it should just come to me. But it doesn't, does no. it? No, it, 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 it's, it's not going to just come to you. And it's, 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 uh, everything's not that simple. But it is that simple. And if you want to, if you want to do well, if you want to be good at something, do it a thousand times. If you want to be great, do it ten thousand times, over and over. Repetition, repetition. Training, communication, repetition. Make sure your people know know what they're doing and why they're doing it, and then do it again, do it again, do it again. And just the realization that uh, everything. I think that I, this might be good to write this down. Everything is simple, but it's not easy. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. So do it again. Uh, and it looks like uh, shooting free throws, shooting free throws, shooting free throws. To, do you, it again. So, do so it that's again. a lesson you learned. That's a lesson you learned early on as a basketball player and your dad. Tell us a little bit about how that kind of early on lesson, uh, you know, rippled through the rest of your uh, military career even. Well, we would shoot jump shots and free throws. And every single day that we would play basketball, no one could leave the gym until one of us makes 20 free throws in a row. And that's it. And if we, I mean, if we played basketball for two, three hours, we still need to go to the free throw line. And one of us needs to make 20 free throws in a row before we leave the gym. And that could take another two or three hours. I mean, that could take, it could take 30 seconds. It could take another three hours, but someone needs to make it. And then we would, um, we actually would treat ourselves. There's a steakhouse called the Derby in Butte, Montana. That a friend of mine actually owns. And, um, if we made 20, when our, when our season started, when I was like a freshman or a sophomore, it was 20 free throws to leave the gym, but 20 free throws to go to the derby for a steak. But then it was still 20 to leave the gym, but then 25 to get a derby, then 30, then 35, 40. And we would go up by air increments of five. And we got to a point where uh, my father, I think, made 91 free throws in a row one day. And that was a family record until I made 105 the next week. Um, and it's just, it's just keeping your goal. Okay, we got to make 20 to leave the gym, but 25 where we get a tenderloin. That's, and that's it. And that's, again... Keeping it simple. Don't, don't make life complex. One of the other pieces of advice that I wrote down as I read through The Way Forward by Rob O'Neill, who we're talking to, and his uh, co-writer here, Dakota Meyer, uh, was this idea that um, 
the role of mentors. And both of you in different chapters talk about the importance of mentors. Probably didn't even know what the hell the word meant at the time these guys were being your mentor. But but talk a little bit about that, the importance of a mentor. Well, I mean, it's just it's just uh, someone that you look up to, someone that's doing something that you want to do, someone that's, that's, that's great, doesn't realize they're great, and they don't realize they're great, but you're looking at them. And for me, it was my dad, and it was everything from, from hunting antelope to free throws to fly fishing to elk hunting to, you know, whatever else. And then, you know, he was, he was the guy that, that, that um, started looking up to me just for stuff that I did. And he was – I mean, it's funny to watch the roles reverse where uh, – he always thought that I was the. He was always. He always thought I was the guy that was doing everything. There was there was a, something in in Life magazine where there were Navy SEAL students tied up, and he said, "I can tell that's you." There were pictures in Life magazine. I can tell that's you right there. It's got to be you. And I'm like, Dad, I haven't left for the Navy yet. That's definitely not me. <laughs> um, he he was very excited to be there, and I always I always told him, and I would tell my mother, um, "Don't be nervous. I'm here to do something special." And I would tell them, I would lie to them when I'm in Iraq or uh, Afghanistan or, or Pakistan. Don't, don't don't be nervous. I'm here to do something special. And the night after my team killed Osama bin Laden, I remember calling both of them and said, "Hey, by the way, you can start worrying because that special thing. I, I think we just did it." <laughs> well, uh, sometimes you have to lie to the loved ones just to protect them, and I think there's lie, little... lie to lie to them just to keep, look. And and one of the things that I two things that I say to people: if you're, if, this is great advice. If you're worried about something right now that your worry will not change, stop wasting your energy. Stop worrying. Get your mind off it. It's not going to help. And the other thing I say to people, and this is great advice too, it doesn't matter why we're here. We're just here. And I, I tell football teams, it doesn't matter why it's second and 15, guys. It just is. Get over it. The clock is ticking. Let's go. And that's it. So so my parents worrying about me getting shot down by a missile is not going to stop the missile. So just stop worrying about it. That's it. Stop wasting your energy. A related piece of advice here, and and again, we're talking to Rob O'Neill, who received two silver stars and four bronze stars and a variety of other devices and unit citations and accommodation medals, um, which you don't get unless, you know, there's a lot of chaos going on and you do something in that chaos. But but (laughs) your, your advice was really, and this is true in life, I think, about staying calm and avoiding panic. Can you talk to us a little bit about that as a, as sort of a lesson you learned over time? Yes. Um, your next your next goal is your next breath. And um, I have videos of, uh, we call it basic underwater demolition seal training, BUDS. Uh, I have videos of instructors, BUDS instructors, destroying students underwater, be it with uh, compressed air or with just knot tying or just tumbling you around. Um, there's so much going on in your mind, but your next goal in life is your next breath, your next step. So when the chaos comes, stand, even if you're like at, at a boardroom or, or a family dinner at Thanksgiving and we disagree on politics, when you feel yourself getting stressed out, stand up, take a step back and take your next breath, calm down and then move on. And that's it. And that's how, that, again, simplicity makes, simplicity makes life better. Keep it simple. We have a, an acronym, KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. And stupid is me. Stupid is you. Stupid is someone. Stupid is you. And just keep it simple, stupid, so we don't uh, um, 
paralysis through analysis. Stop overthinking everything. Life is simple. My wife works in the power line industry and uh, she, her, her uh, uh, employees are the ones that get up on. I mean, here's how simple this is. They're the ones that get up on the power lines and, and give us electricity. And we don't realize that electricity is there because it's so every day. But these are the guys that get up there and I tell them, don't die because you got bored. These are the guys that get up there. Once you get up there, always follow your rules. If you forget your safety gloves, but you need to go over to that uh, transformer and it's just a quarter turn, but it's 25 minutes to get down the pole, 30 minutes to get back up, I'll just do a quarter turn. No, go down there, follow your rules, get the, keep it simple. Get your, because pe- pe- people, people die because they get bored. If, if you go on a job site, you'll see that uh, when there's a fatality, there's a big sign up that says 400 safe or uh, incident free days. Because someone got bored, complacency kills, and complacency is caused by success. Too much success, and people have a tendency to say the same thing. This is the way we've always done it. Don't do that. Don't rest on your laurels. Keep it simple. One step forward. Keep it simple. Stupid. And that's reminding myself that I'm stupid. That's it. Well, one of the things, too, that uh, you just sort of talked about is uh, people get bored by success. But success also has a downside and some additional downsides to it that you've experienced, and that sort of deals with the whole price of fame, right? Uh, the, the controversy about who really killed Osama bin Laden and all the crap that gets thrown at you uh, b- because of uh, that issue. How have, you, how have you dealt with, and I know Dakota Meyer, your uh, co-writer here on The Way Forward, has really had to deal with the price of fame as well. Talk a little bit about that. While most of us will never be famous, there are folks who are jealous about everybody on everything, right? So, yeah. so yeah. Th- this, this translates beyond price of fame, but, but applies to those who say, well, you know, my brother-in-law is jealous. I got a new car. How do you deal with that? Um, the first thing you got to do is stop. Well, the first thing you got to do is stop caring. I, I don't care. Like, I, you know, I've, I've had everyone hit me up with from you didn't kill Bin Laden or Bin Laden's not even dead or he died at whatever. You got to stop caring because at some point, if you know that, if you know that you have the truth on your side, there's nothing to worry about and you're not going to convince some, somebody else, whatever. And, um, uh, I, I mean, I like people that say, people that say you shouldn't talk about, your stories have no stories to tell and they're the ones at the bar getting drunk pissed off that someone else has a story but you got to stop caring and and just the realization the only the only reason that i shot bin laden was because there was a guy in front of me who was braver than i was the one up the stairs first and he went right or he went straight and i went right and that's it um and it, it really doesn't bother i don't it's it's hard there was two people that saw what happened and one of us one of us is dead that's Osama bin laden and i can't convince people I don't care. I don't care. You got to stop caring again about something you can't change. But I mean, the th- the only thing that really gets to me is is you know who doesn't get credit is the air crew. Um, the guys on the guys that put their butts on the seats on the helicopters that we flew into Pakistan. That if a missile hit us, they would be just as dead. But they their job was to keep the plane flying and open the door. And it's the pilots that flew us in. The, the pilots, it's, it's the, it's the women that found Bin Laden. The, the, I, I was smart enough to, uh, carry a sledgehammer and go to where the woman Maya told me to go. That's it. I mean, I, I, I'm to the point now where if someone says you didn't kill Bin Laden, I'm like, great. 
then stop following me on Twitter. I don't care. Well, I but think give some respect. Give that, some respect to the people that, that got us there. Yeah, I, and I, I'm a, I, we do this every night. I fly every single night. I fly somewhere. I go in a house and I kill bad guys and I leave. I don't really care. But the the, the respect needs to be given to the the people behind the scenes. You know. Well, I think the the advice really is, it's you know the truth about your brother-in-law about about your critics you know you know the truth and stop caring about it that's that's how you deal with uh what's all that criticism that you get for what you do in life whoever let, let it go whoever, let it go whoever you are it is they, they they trained us early on at seal team six for the training to get there where, the, where we would go through training and they would punish you for mistakes that you didn't make and they knew you didn't make and they wanted to see how you handle making a mistake that we all know you didn't make. And then as soon as you get punished, I don't talk getting punished, like tire drags, body armor, uh, 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 rope climbs. As soon as you're done, they put you right back in front of the training again to see how you handle it. Um, we know you didn't screw up, but we just punished you for screwing up. Can you get over it? And great advice in life. What, what Listen to me right now. Whatever it is, get over it. That's it. That's life. Get over it. Well, uh, it, we all wish it was that simple, and for a lot of guys coming out of uh, combat and certainly in the way forward, Dakota talks about his struggles, and Rob O'Neill, who we're talking to, uh, you talk about some of your uh, post-deployment uh uh, struggles with uh, undiagnosed PTSD, challenges with the VA, anxiety issues, jealousy issues. Let, let's not leave uh, the impression that everything was uh, rosy. Uh, you know, you retired in 2012 and everything was rosy. Can you talk to us about that transition a little bit and, and, and how you got to the point where you can live with, hey, I just get over it and I'm fine with it? Oh, I haven't. I, I haven't gotten there myself yet. And uh, that's not all I'm saying. I'm, just, I'm saying it's a great theory. Uh, and I give myself my own advice every single day. It's hard. It's a hard transition. You're gonna you're gonna screw up. Um, your your demons will revisit you. You're gonna have that problem. You're gonna have a bad day. You're gonna have a series of bad days. <clears throat> but the key, I think, is admitting you're having a bad day. And then what I always tell people, I learned this in Hell Week uh, in 1996 in Bud's class 208. Um, if you're having a bad day, call someone. If you're having a good day, call someone because they might be having a bad day. Be, just just admit you're having a bad day. And when you screw up, which you will, and I do all the time, I screw up every single day. Uh, then I call someone. Uh, and, and just admit it. You're, um, it, it is, it's as simple as a phone call. Yes, it's simple. Yes, it's easy to say it's, it's simple, but you're going to screw up. You're going to slip up and learn from it. Call someone. Call your mom. Call your dad. If you don't have a mom and dad anymore, call uh, a relative, call a friend and then try, try to, try to learn from it. And, and, and there's, you know, Nobody's perfect. If anyone's perfect, I don't want to hear from them. Um, you know, the only one who's perfect is uh, you know the Lord. Right. Yep. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to. I'm not going to try to compare to to he or she or you know Virgin Mary or anything like that. Um, you're going to have a bad day, and uh, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, admit something went sideways, and then move forward. That's that's why we call it the way forward because that's it. I mean, we wrote the book. We've been writing the book for three years. I've screwed up since then. I've screwed up in front of people. I've had bad days drinking, um, and I've sought help, called friends, and I'm just, you know, I try to get on with it. That's, that's all you can do. But, you know, you just don't, don't succumb to it. But it is simple. Ask, ask a friend. That's it. 
Well, one of the things that, uh, as I say, you write on and Dakota writes on as well is that, uh, hey, you do have to ask for some help. And uh, a psychologist in, in particular, he gives a lot of props to a Captain Katie Coop. And you sort of think of, uh, I think it's easy for people to look at, uh, you know, heroes and tough guys like Rob O'Neill and Dakota Meyer and say, well, man, they never asked anybody for any help. They're, they were, uh, you know, they're iron men and, and really you gotta ask for help, don't you? Oh, yeah. And there's one, another one of my favorite quotes, um, is never meet your hero because you'll be let down because everyone's normal. We're all the same. There, there are very, very few people that stand out as being the top 1%. We're all normal. We're all human. We all make mistakes. And, um, I mean, do do your best to ask someone to help you, help you get over it. And like after this, this conversation today, I'm going to, I'm going to screw up right today or tomorrow. And I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to get over it. I'm going to le- try to learn from, learn from your mistakes. We rarely, we very rarely learn from success. We learn from failure. And that's what life is. Life is a series of failures with the occasional great moment. That's about it. Let me bring you back around as we come to closing out uh, to sure. to Butte, Montana, which is a you know beautiful place if you like uh, the outdoors and everything associated with that. And as you think back and think, well, there there's some young kid right now in Butte, Montana. Would you be recommending to him if he asked you, hey, should I? Uh, should I go into the military? What, what is that something I should do? The the best advice I would give to a young man or a young boy or girl, actually, that wants to get in the military, I would say the best the best advice is get straight A's, get accepted to an academy, and learn how to fly something. <laughs> Seriously, but, but don't like, join the Air Force, Air, right? <laughs> no, the Air Force is great. I love the Air Force. Just don't don't. I mean, the stuff in the swamp looks cool. It's not cool. Just fly something. Be, be fly a helicopter, fly a jet, be Maverick or Goose. <laughs> don't don't do this nonsense that I did because I got dumped by a girl. Well, it's also interesting though that you say go get that education, right? That, you know, yes. you, that wasn't something that really fit your profile at that point no, in I time. Was, I, I, I was uh, I was actually in college and I was going to get an MBA and work with my father, um, and then I just left. And that's how a lot of a lot of veterans did it. They just joined the military. But I, you know, the, the honest advice other than flying, which I'm very serious about, is if you want to enlist, get your degree first, then enlist. And you can always go to OCS. Get, get that degree. Keep that behind you. And it's always a, it's, it's, it's a, always a step up. You can, you know, to get, get your education. And I always, you know, don't trust everything. <laughs> right. Don't trust everything the recruiter tells you. Yeah, that's no, not because the recruiter's going to lie to you, which is weird. <laughs> I thought I thought I remember standing in front of that recruiter at 19 years old in Butte, Montana, like you know, I don't know what a Navy SEAL is, but this guy's a professional recruiter. Why is he going to lie to me? <laughs> he, he was, he's lying. <laughs> well, there's a lot of life after you get out of the military. Um, you know, sometimes you just got to keep uh, going uh, one foot in front of the other, the way forward. That, and and um, you know Dakota Meyer uh, moved on and and, and is uh, working as an EMT, which I think is just a cool thing. Um, 
and you guys wrote a great book. It took three years, as you say, but uh, this is a great book, and we recommend it to folks. The <laughs> You're laughing about the crayons we talked about I, earlier. I'm, la- I'm laughing because uh, I wrote a book with a Marine, and we get, and someone asked us the other day, we, we gave a speech on stage, and someone said, well, how can I tell which part is yours, Dakota? And he said, oh, I wrote mine slower. <laughs> Well, it sounds like that's, 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 another, that's another point too. Is ne- never ever lose your sense of humor. Uh, the, some of the darkest moments bring the best humor. Misery loves company. Don't don't be afraid to take a step back and just laugh because none of us are getting out of this alive anyway. Well, I really appreciate uh, Rob O'Neill you spending some time with Veterans Radio today to talk about the way forward and to pass on some life lessons that uh, your career has. Uh, you know, helped uh, form for you, forge for you. And uh, as I said at the outset, this is a great read. I really recommend it to folks. I can't, I tell, it's a great read. Um, I appreciate your time. It's awesome. Thank you. You got it. Thanks, Rob. So it was a fascinating discussion with uh, Rob and the lessons that he's learned over the years and some of the problems that uh, fame has brought his way. Uh, we did not get a chance to talk to Dakota Meyer. We're still working on that. Um, unfortunately, Dakota had a, his story is a little more challenging in that he really had a, a rough upbringing before getting into the Marines. The fame that comes with the Medal of Honor was maybe not something that he was ready for, um, as he relates in his chapters on that uh, uh, section. Um, you know, he went to the Medal of Honor ceremony and made sure he was drunk before he got there because he just couldn't deal with it all. And uh, but life seems a little better for him now, and and he's working as a paramedic. And I think uh, we still may have a chance to get him on to talk about the book and some other issues. But uh, it's really a, a worthy read, and we encourage you to do that. Before we go on to talk about the Civil War naval battle that I teased you with. Um, let's have a few words from our sponsors. Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative. Maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help, but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. We can all help someone going through a difficult time. Learn how you can be there for veterans. Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. VeteransCrisisLine.net. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. Thanks for coming back, and um, we want to talk now with Tom Claven, a military historian and author, and talking about his writing partner who recently passed away, but more importantly talking about this naval battle uh, between the Confederate ship Alabama and the uh, U.S. ship Curacao off the coast of France. You may never have heard this story, but it's really pretty fascinating. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today Tom Claven. Tom is a prolific author. We've had him on before. Uh, talking about some of his writing. Uh, we had him back on a long time ago, May of 2014, on his book, Last Men Out, a true story of America's heroic final hours in Vietnam. Tom, welcome back to Veterans Radio. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you having me back. 
Well, we're going to talk about a book that's coming out to the uttermost ends of the earth, the epic hunt for the South's most feared ship and the greatest sea battle of the Civil War, which I had never really heard about. So this is one of those things where this is how you how you get the history you never got in school mm-hmm. by by listening to Veterans Radio and reading some of the great uh, books and authors that uh, we bring to you. And you had a writing partner on this, Phil Keith. Uh, Phil was also on Veterans Radio back mm-hmm. in October of 2013 on his book, Black Horse Riders. Both of you guys are pretty prolific uh, authors. Uh, Phil's now passed away. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your writing partner here? Well, Phil and I had gotten to be friends, I'm going to say, probably about 15 years ago. Uh, he Actually, I was doing a writing workshop, and he came in to participate in the writing workshop. Uh, as as some people may recall who have listened to his interview on, on, on your the network, um, he had uh, served three tours in Vietnam. He was a, a fighter pilot. Uh, he was he was, uh, uh, and, and then he wanted to try his hand at writing. He had been writing, but he he was actually working on a novel at the time, and he wanted some help in this workshop try to finish that up. And but as I got to know him better, and then the workshop was over, but we started to become friends and become became better and better friends, and, and, and ultimately very very good friends. And um, I remember, I'm glad you mentioned Black Horse Riders because. I said to Phil, you know, I really think you're, you have a really strong strength for nonfiction writing. I mean, nothing against your fiction writing. And if that's what you, you know, pleases you the most, then keep going. But uh, I said, I bet if you found the right story, you know, you could really sink your teeth into it. And as it happened, uh, this was probably 2010-ish. Um, I, I picked up a newspaper that day, and there was a photograph of President Obama uh, presenting the presidential unit citation to a number of men who had put, who'd been in this company in Vietnam that had, they had, but their, their heroism at, in this, this battle had gone overlooked for, you know, 40 something years. So they're getting, finally getting their due. And, uh, and I called Phil and I said, did you see the paper this morning? He said, yep. He said, I think I'm thinking the same thing. And so he started looking into this uh, story, which eventually became black horse riders he did, uh, he did a great job. I thought he did a, a follow up to that with Firebase Illingworth. And, and, uh, so we, we, we were not writing partners, but very good friends. And then we sort of both at the same time found out about this fellow, Eugene Bullard, and started to, then we said, you know, let's, let's try and work together. You know, and that sounds like it's a casual thing, but it's not. You know, they say you shouldn't go into business with friends. Right, right. <laughs> and we're writing a book together is going into business. You know, you might spend the next year or two working together and, and, and sometimes disagreeing on where you're going. And and there is money involved. And you figure out the contract, who gets what. You know, there's all kinds of things to it. But we so enjoyed our experience with uh, what, what became the, the um, uh, All Blood Runs Red which was published in 2019, that we thought, well, if another story comes along, and Phil, again, being a Navy man, um, uh, we, we we started to research the story about the Civil War battle between the uh, CSS Alabama and the USS Kearsage, and that was right up his alley. And so we said, okay, let's let's do another book together. <laughs> together. And our publisher was delighted because they were very happy with the way All Blood Runs Red turned out. Turned out. And uh, and so we, we did this book together as, as a good amount of research, and, and Phil, you know, did a fantastic job because there's so much of the jargon in the book that's that's about 1860s boats and sailing, right, right. and of course he, he his mind was picked that up right away. Some of it he already knew, of course, having been 25 years in the Navy. 
So, um, uh, so we really enjoyed working on this book together, and it was a story we thought many people did not know about. And uh, and unfortunately, Phil, a number of, of uh, ailments started to, to pile up on him, and uh, he passed away on March 10th of last year. Yeah, r- way too early. He was only 74 years old. I'm sure mm-hmm. he had a lot of good books left in him. He had, yes. rid- he had ridden on... Uh, the USS Lexington. Uh, he had written yes, uh, written a great yeah. uh, story, a great book, uh, the stories of the Medal of Honor winners from mm-hmm. uh, Harvard, called uh, the books Crimson Valor. You've also written on World War II, Lightning Down. Um, uh, you've written on a book called Reckless, the racehorse who became a Marine Corps hero that Marine, a lot of people Marine know Corps. about. Um, Marine Corps horse, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you guys were a great combination, uh, and, and this is an interesting book. May have the worst title I've ever heard. Is it long enough? It's, it's uh, more than long <laughs> enough, but there's a reason for the title, and let's start yeah. there. Um, uh, the Kearsarge gets a, a direction an order, if you will, and tell us about that, and that wraps right into the title, To the Utmost Ends of the Earth. Well, what happened was that the most people know that they think about the Civil War and any battles that were fought in the water. They think of the Mer- you know, the Monitor and the Merrimack, and they think about the inshore and the blockade blockade uh, battles as, as Confederate ships tried to escape Charleston and Savannah, you know, other, other southern ports. But there was actually a, uh, a sea battle that was off the coast of France between a Union ship and a Confederate ship. Now, the Confederate ship was the CSS Alabama, captained by Raphael Sims, that had start, sailed in 1862 and had, for the next couple of years, it went all around the world finding and sinking Union shipping. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this was of increasingly frustrating and it was damaging to the union cause to some extent because some of the things it was hoping to get from the Caribbean, from European ports, from elsewhere was, was just not arriving because it ended up in the bottom of the sea. So the secretary of the Navy in the Lincoln administration was uh, Gideon Wells. And uh, he summoned a man named John Winslow, who was a veteran Navy captain, uh, Navy officer and put him in charge of the USS Kearsage. And Wells said to him, your mandate is, Go to the uttermost ends of the earth if you have to, but find and sink the Alabama. Those are pretty and broad orders for any broad orders. And, and, and Wells, you know, the funny thing is about Wells, there were other ships looking for the for the Alabama. Uh, he he didn't necessarily have a lot of confidence in, in Winslow. Winslow was kind of like a plodding officer who was a, he was a, a good good seaman and he was a good officer and very devoted to the Union cause, but he had not really previously distinguished himself as particularly dashing or 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 spontaneous or, or, or all that successful in a, in a way. So yet it was, it was Winslow whose doggedness was, turned out to be a, a, uh, advantage who chased, uh, the CSS Alabama around the world and finally cornered, cornered him. And it resulted in this, this amazing uh, battle between these two ships and only one of them would survive. Well, it's interesting because the mission here, the mission for the Alabama, from the south was go to interrupt trade mm-hmm. you know we don't have a navy that can compete but let's go out there and interrupt trade and uh, boy that sounds kind of like what we're going through today as russia and ukraine are battling and trade becomes a weapon of war if you will 
Um, so as I read this, there, there are things that resonate even today. Yes. Um, you know, a hundred years later, um, if you will, uh, about how the war, wars are fought and how folks go about them. So the Alabama you mentioned was on the seas for three years. Mm-hmm. If anybody's ever been on a ship, <laughs> you're going to go insane over three years. How did Raphael Simmons uh, keep his crew together and actually stay provisioned and, and uh, moving for three years, some 75,000 miles on the sea? Well, for one thing, the Alabama was a, a brand new ship. It had been built in, 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 uh, in Liverpool, England. And so it was it it was a state of the art ship for its time and built to last and built to be fast and built to be strong. You know, it, it overpowered other ships that it encountered. So it it had some uh, you know endurance in it. Um, I mean, eventually any ship at sea is uh, in those days certainly in the eighteen sixties is going to start needing repairs. It's going to start wearing out. It's going to there's a lot of wear and tear. The storms that you go through. Uh, uh, barnacles, you know, all kinds of things like that. So that eventually did add up to the Alabama, but it did have a captain that had great fortitude. And uh, and the, but the other thing too about Sam's was that he was old for a captain. And I'm gonna so I don't want anybody to be offended when I say this, but he was in his mid fifties. Now in his mid fifties today, you're still climbing mountains. You know, you're, you're doing all kinds of stuff. But in the 1860s, uh, when the when the uh, average lifespan of an average American male was, may have may have been 50. And not only was Sam still alive and active, but he was the captain of the most successful Confederate ship of the Civil War. So, uh, so, he, and he he was uh, he, the the crew. He had he had a good crew that believed in him, and so he could he could go into a port and they wouldn't just all run run off and disappear. Uh, they did find that uh, they found many friendly ports, certainly in 1862 and 1863. They found ports in, in Southeast Asia, in Europe, in South America. They went, went to Cape Town, South Africa that were, you know, welcoming to the Alabama because some of these, some of these countries, some of these people were actually in favor of the Southern cause. That, that changed in 1864. It was more, becoming more and more obvious that the South was, was, uh, at a point of diminishing returns and, and, uh, some of the, actually the success of the Alabama had hurt some of the ports. Uh, because Union ships were not coming there anymore, so that was hurting them and their economy. So uh, it is it is very remarkable. Seventy five thousand miles this, the, the CSS Alabama logged, and 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 yet when when it encountered the uh, finally encountered the uh, the Kearsage, uh they were going to fight. They were going to fight. They were going to say, okay, we're tired. We're giving up. No, they were, they 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 challenged the. They were in the in the port of Cherbourg in France, and they said, we're coming out. We'll meet you on the ocean. Well, you mentioned that the the uh, ship was built, the Alabama was built in Britain, and that it you know had the uh, advantages of friendly ports. It kind of again you know rang true with me as I'm reading this. The context of the importance of foreign countries, the role of foreign countries, and and maybe merchants and arms dealers uh, in advancing any war, and and there was sort of a subterfuge to get. The the uh, uh, Alabama uh, outfitted with arms. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a, to me that that was a fun aspect of the story because 
you know, officially England could not build a ship for the Confederates. You know, that would that would give them a lot of trouble with with the Lincoln administration. And who knows who knows if that could have eventually, you know, uh, 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 trans transformed into Union ships and English ships confronting each other on the high seas. So uh, the Confederate agent there who had had money and and he uh, he had to hire this have this ship built as if it was a private ship. Uh, and, and, you know, wink, wink. <laughs> so it was this, it was an amazing ship. What they didn't do at, and when it was built was put weapons on it. So they could still maintain the fiction that this was a private ship. So separately, the, the ship, uh, uh, when it was ready to go and it had to sort of escape at the last minute because the union was getting wise that this was going to be a Confederate ship. You know, it left on a so-called training mission or, or it was going to see if everything was working all right. And it never came back. Separately, another ship was loaded with weapons, cannon, everything like that, gunpowder. And it rendezvoused with the Alabama. I think it might have been in the Azores where the, um, all this stuff was, the, you know, the guns were placed on the, on the Alabama and locked in and the ammunition and other supplies needed. And suddenly the CSS Alabama was a, a warship and a very, very, powerful one and fully outfitted although the fiction was it was you know not a military ship and privately constructed in britain again kind of rings true for even today how we play some of these games Mm -hmm. one of the things i found really interesting in the book to the uttermost ends of the earth by phil keith and tom clavin there really was no uh, significant uh, northern or southern uh, navy at the time and it was a very small military world of officers and how all of these naval officers had crossed paths um, somewhere in their careers before they find themselves on opposite sides of the of the uh, American Civil War that was interesting history, and, and you really brought that to life for uh, Captain Raphael Sims and Captain John Winslow. So I thought you did a great job with that. Yeah, thanks. I mean, most people, they, they, they think about, uh, you know, the, when the beginning of the war, as war was imminent, the Civil War was imminent, that officers, West Point graduates, West Point, you know, students, West Point graduates had to make these these decisions, you know, if a, if, a, if a West Point graduate was a captain in the U.S. Army, but he was from Mississippi, do I do I join the Confederate States of America or do I stick with my with the with the U.S. Army? But that was also true of Annapolis. Uh, Annapolis, I think, began as a U.S. Naval Academy. I'm going to say in 1845. It is in the book. And so you had the same thing. You had these graduates of Annapolis who they had to make this very tough decision, and they had crossed paths a lot of these fellows in the years. I mean. Raphael Sims and John Winslow had been friends on serving on the same ship uh, in the, in the 1840s. Um, so there are very difficult decisions to be made. And Sims, who was a, 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 a Southerner by, by birth, uh, he made his decision to go with the Confederate States. John Winslow, I think, was built, was born in North Carolina, if I remember correctly. Yet he chose to stay with the Union and, and keep his position in the, in the rankings of officers in the, in the Union Navy. But what you said before was very true, too. The Union Navy, I mean, the Confederate States of America had no Navy when the war began. And the Union Navy had been downsized after the Mexican-American War. And suddenly, you know, you have a civil war here and they have to see what what still floats. What, what, can, we, what can we put out there as a Navy? 
It's it, and, and so if you're a, a naval historian or a Civil War buff, you're going to really enjoy that portion of the book because it's going to tell you about how those all those officers kind of crossed past along the way and had to make these decisions. So uh, folks who are uh, in that category of historians will mm. need to pick this up and read it. One of the things I found interesting and somewhat amazing, actually, was that, that, that the CSS Alabama, did I n- note this right? They, they uh, captured or destroyed something like 66 ships? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, what you know, the the Alabama was faster and stronger than just about every ship it encountered. So you know, these especially the merchant ships. So they would uh, they would fight. They would see these ships. They would chase them down. They they make make them you know stop and and they'd be boarded. Now, if if a captain had papers that showed that this really was the the cargo he was carrying really was uh, French or English or German or whatever. Then, uh, you know, Sims would recall his sailors and, and, and off they'd go, to, uh, you know, in their separate ways. But if, if it was uh, a cargo that was bound for a union port and it was union goods, then, uh, he would have the crew removed and he would set, uh, oh, the other thing he would do, he would have, he would take the captain's chronometer. <laughs> a, a peculiar kind of, uh, a little trophy. <laughs> yeah. He, from each ship that he took, he, he would keep as a, as a, as a keepsake, the, the other captain's chronometer. He had this big chronometer collection in his cabin. And, uh, but he would remove the other ship's crew and then burn it and, uh, and everything on it. And, and it, it's kind of, uh, a poignant because some of these captains, you know, this was their life savings. This is what they did for a living was transport goods. They were not necessarily, well, they didn't care one side or the other. My job is to transport goods, and they had invested in the ship, and and uh, so some of these some of these captains had had a pretty tough time watching their ships burn, but that was the way that Sims was thinking the best and the only way really that the Confederate Navy uh, could could make a difference in the Civil War was to make sure as few goods and other material as possible made it to the Union cause. Well, it, it, again, it's back to its goal was to interrupt or slow down trade or make people mm-hmm. think twice about shipping into the northern states, and it developed quite a reputation, and I'm sure it had that impact on folks. Um, I think I, I noted there were something like 20,000 uh, POWs uh, taken off these ships and then released, uh, and I'm sure every one of them went on and told the story, didn't they? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that about the reputation that the Alabama had, because as time went on and there were reports that would end up in being published in newspapers in Boston, Washington D.C., New York, uh, about the Alabama, it, be- it became this mythical ship. It was, it was, it was everywhere. You know, they're, 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 on the same in the same week, there could be an Alabama sighting in the Caribbean. There could be an Alabama sighting in the Pacific, uh, off the coast of Europe, off the coast of South Africa. So it, it, it intimidated shipping too. There was some. There were some captains that forget it. I'm not transporting any Union goods because I don't want to lose my ship. So that was like a ripple effect of its success. Was that there, it, 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 as you, the word you use, disrupt, is a very good one. It disrupted trade. Well, all, you know, <laughs> for Captain Sims, all good things come to an end mm. when his old buddy John, uh, Captain John Winslow uh, and the USS Kearsarge happens to be in Holland, and uh, the Alabama happens to go to France. Uh, to get uh, some of those repairs we were talking about earlier. And I don't know, you know, if, if the Kearsarge was outfitted better, it had some unique uh, uh, maybe tricks up its sleeve, but 
talk to us about the final battle. Well, you know, the, the Alabama was at a, 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 um, a, a disadvantage because uh, fewer and fewer ports would accept a Confederate ship as the war ground on. And I mentioned before it's 1864. You know, by then, Britain and France and, and Italy and some of the other uh, places in the world that previously had had been okay. Yes, you can you can come in here and, and stay for a while and make repairs. We'll give you more coal for your engine. We'll you know re, 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 give you some vittles, you know, so so you could be at sea for another couple of months. Fewer and fewer of those ports were available, whereas a lot of ports were available to the Kearsarge. So it, if it needed repairs, they can get them done easily. If it needed to restock its its food stocks, its coal for the engine, it could do that. So when um, when the Alabama put in at in, in Cherbourg, uh, you know they they had hoped that they could stay for a while and get some absolutely necessary repairs done. The ship was in was in pretty bad shape by then, but even in Cherbourg they were told, well, we'll let you stay for a little while, but otherwise you got to get out of here. You know we we don't we we see which way the wind is blowing and we don't want to have trouble for the, when the Lincoln administration is up harboring a Confederate and maybe protecting a Confederate ship. So, uh, so Sims, uh, instead of fighting that and he, and knowing that the, the, he sent a message to the Kearsarge, which had, you know, anchored outside the, the harbor, uh, we're coming out. And, uh, on a Sunday morning in June of 1864, the, uh, the Alabama left the, the protection of the, of the, of the port and came out and it met, uh, it was one, it was a duel one on one, the Kearsarge and the Alabama on, in the ocean off the coast of France. And they, uh, it was a pretty fierce battle. I don't know if I want to give away the ending, although I think some people can probably imply what ended up happening. <laughs> they can, and I, but I want to draw another parallel to, yeah. um, you know, this 1860 sea battle and what we do today. So today we're all kind of glued to our TV watching the uh, mm-hmm. Ukraine-Russian invasion and, and what's going on. How did the the, the local French... Uh, countrymen around Cherbourg react to this uh, pending battle. Well, that's that's kind of a humorous aspect of the book. At least I found the humorous. It was it was a spectacle. It was entertainment. It was it was uh, you know it was two, watching gladiators in the ring. The gladiators happened to be a, a two ships, and they they came from all over. You know when it was announced that the that the Alabama was coming out to take on the Kearsarge, people came from the the, the countryside into 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 Cherbourg. They climbed on roofs, uh, rooftops to get a get a uh, see what they could from there. Uh, people were selling food. It was the people were singing songs. It was it was a, uh, a festival. There were uh, cra- apparently you, you write uh, there were train loads of people who yeah. came out <laughs> to uh, have a nice Sunday afternoon and watch the battle. Something like nineteen thousand people showed up. Um, yeah, and that w- they, that was their television. That was right. <laughs> they can watch from a, from the viewpoint of the shore. I mean, obviously, you couldn't see that well because the they, the the two ships had to be beyond French territorial waters. Uh, but but it was it was very entertaining, and, and people were putting weight. They were wagering. You know, it's like like a sporting event now. Oh, with the world. Uh, they were wagering. Who's going to win? Okay, I'll put I'll put ten francs on the Alabama. I'll put twenty <laughs> francs on the Kearsarge. Well, it's an entertaining book with a lot of history packed in there. As I say, a lot of different people, I think, would like this, whether you're a naval historian or a Civil War buff or, you know, you were kind of interested in some of those early, how did, how did Britain and how did France interplay into the Civil War? Um, it's all in there as well as this great story about these two captains 
and and giving them real life, which I think you were trying to do, and you guys did a mm-hmm. good job. Thank you. Really enjoyed talking to Tom, and we got a chance to talk to him some more about uh, his writing partner and sort of uh, his passing and and uh, how to, how the book got finished up. So if you want to hear that, um, the full podcast is uh, up on veteransradio.net. You can always find something new there because we post every Tuesday. So if you want to hear something uh, a little new or different uh, in between our weekend shows, you can check it out there. It's always fascinating. Again, I want to thank our sponsors, um, uh, certainly our national sponsors, nvbdc.org, which certifies disabled and veteran-owned businesses, Veteran Lending Council, who you can find on Facebook, who educates on the VA housing program, and our uh, VSO sponsors, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter 310, the VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423, and the American Legion uh, Prescon Post 46. So we couldn't be on the air without uh, that kind of support, and we hope you'll come back next week. As always, check us out on Facebook, uh, follow us there, uh, stay in touch, uh, send us ideas for shows. We get a lot of them from people we talk to, so we really appreciate that. Uh, there's uh, always new information, and there's always another story to tell. So uh, it's kind of exciting to get your input on that. Now that the weather's broken, uh, a lot of uh, folks are out uh, hitting the golf links and doing other things, but you can always catch the show on its podcast uh, link as well. We'd be remiss if we didn't wish everybody Mother's Day. Uh, happy Mother's Day, whether she's uh, here on this uh, good earth or uh, already made her way up to heaven for uh, putting up with you. Uh, we want you to remember your mom and uh, thank her for all she did for you. If you haven't called her, give her a call. And until next time, you are dismissed. <laughs>